everyone, and welcome to The Mind Behind It. My name is Huda. And I am Sahil. This Mind Behind It podcast is two of two. My name is Michelle Druin. I am a psychologist, a professor at Purdue University, Fort Wayne. I'm a senior research scientist for a large hospital system here in Northeast Indiana. And I own my own company called Forensic Psychology Consultants, where we do consulting and expert witness work for criminal and civil cases all over the world. I want to ask you, has sexting actually benefited relationships or has it actually reduced the need for physical intimacy? And how should you go about it? I think sexting is a very awkward and a weird thing to do if you're not into it. Actually, I don't want to know how to go about it, maybe. maybe that's <laughs> Just answer the first question. Okay, so let me address those in turn. Is it good for a relationship? The answer is it depends. It depends on the kind of relationship. There's a paper that I did with some of my colleagues on the benefits and costs of sexting. Some of the costs are that you no longer have the photo or the video. The person could have it forever, whatever you sent. Even if you send it via a disappearing or distracted reading app, they could snapshot a picture with another phone. There's no guarantee that that is not out there. And that does cause people worry. Not even just like them having having it, them showing it to other people, them forwarding it to other people, just not feeling really great about the fact that you've exposed your body to someone. There are a host of negative consequences, and those are most likely to occur in casual relationships. So mm. from anything from one night stands to friends with benefits, we just don't have some type of committed relationship. Now, there are a host of positive benefits as well. So some people say it was fun. It's flirtatious. It actually sets up our sexual exchanges in a positive way. We get to talk sexy to each other when we're at a physical distance. There are all kinds of reasons why people might engage in sexting and it brings something positive to their lives. Those positive consequences are more likely to occur in committed relationships, which you'd understand there's more trust there, right? There's more, I think, of an agreement that these things will stay between us. I would say, though, that although on the whole people said more positives than negatives, it won out by only a little bit. And in some other research that I've done, I found that people who sexed a lot, so this is work I've done with Brandon McDaniel and a man, Adam Galavan, who's in Canada. And we found that people who sex a lot, they're called the hypersexters. They actually have more conflict in a relationship, more ambivalence, which means they don't know if they want to stay or go. They have more fights over tech use. There might be more pornography viewing. So the people who are in couples where there's a lot of sexting, there tend to be more relationship problems. So it's not like our hyper sexters have the best relationships. The one place where they do usually edge others out is their sexual satisfaction. I do think there's a way to get that sexual satisfaction without sexting though, which actually leads into your next question. Does it displace physical intimacy? I was actually called by the media a few years ago to do an interview about why sex frequency is going down for the millennials. So basically, the frequency of sex is a really good health indicator. Sex is good for your body. For a lot of reasons, it's it's kind of a good thing when people are having sex. Now, I'm not saying that's a blanket statement. So I want to be very careful to say that. But generally, the frequency of sex indicator is viewed as something positive. People are out getting physically intimate. And it's gone down for millennials. The number of people are who are having sex at all is going down. And one of the reasons why I think it might be happening is that they're having all of these very distal relationships, right? And nothing gets too serious. 
And maybe because of that, we never get to sex. Sex is still, in a lot of cultures, something that you engage in when you have quite a bit of intimacy buildup. Now, of course, one night stands happen for sure. But if you're in a regular relationship, you're going to have sex a lot more often than if you're just, you know, getting one night stands here and there. So actually the most productive sexual relationships are between people who are in couples, you know, married people and people in committed relationships. Now that does decline over the life course, but generally for millennials, one of the reasons might be because they're not coupling up as much because there are so many choices. Is it sexting necessarily displacing sexual behavior? I'm not sure, but I would say the internet generally and the ability to communicate with a lot of people and maybe not get very deep with any of them might might be displacing the physical intimacy that normally characterized that time of life. Nowadays, it's all about choice, right? It's like a menu out there. So all you have to do is have a look at your phone and you've all these people that you may have access to, which grass is always greener on the other side. We've talked about how technology has changed our youth. And I guess that's the same for love as well. So there's now this whole modern love. So there's obviously a fair few apps out there now. We've got Tinder, we've got Bumble, we've got Hinge. I don't know what else there is. is there then any? there's like hair for same-sex couples and there's grinder mm. for same-sex couples as well. So there's a certain level of shame to it, I find, but this is the future now. 100%. If I were in the dating world right now, I'd 100% be using apps. Yeah. <laughs> I, I look up 100 reviews for my face creams. Like mm-hmm. I am definitely going to be using apps to kind of find love, to check up on people. I mean, the amount of surveillance we can now do online is incredible. And I think that we are info force, So it means that we want information about the world, right? And the dating world is part of that world. So it is not the era where you can only date your neighbors because you only have one <laughs> horse and you don't have a phone, right? Yeah. Like I don't have any limitations in the people I choose to love. Mm-hmm. And something I claim in my book, you know, for most people, the average person, you could go on a date every night for the rest of your life and still probably not exhaust the number of compatible people that there are in this world for you. You could go on a date every single night. There are so many compatible people with the average person. You just have to find them. And Mm -hmm. I'm not no longer limited, like I said, to the people that are in my neighborhood or Mm -hmm. that I work with. The whole world is available to me, right? So Mm -hmm. why not use an app that could help you find that unique set of traits that you think is important? Because those things are not necessarily going to be found in your local coffee shop or at your church or the people who you're at work with or you go to school with. It opens the world in really important ways. So if you're trying to find someone who's compatible with you, there's no greater source than the internet. So I think there should be no shame associated with it. I think the second part of your question though really is how do you get the most of it with there being so many options, right? Mm -hmm. And that is a more difficult question to answer. It is a true problem. I call it the needle in the haystack phenomenon. Every time you spend time chatting with, going out with, doing anything with someone who is not compatible with you, you are wasting time. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, it's not a complete waste of time. You might learn something about yourself. You might learn something about the world. You might learn something about them. But in terms of like moving you towards a relationship or even sex or whatever your goal is, it's a cost, okay? Mm -hmm. You taking that time. So how do you choose who to spend your time with? 
How do you make those types of decisions? And that's not the only decision you have to make. You have to make a decision about how many people am I talking to at the same time? When do I choose to meet up with them? How long do I keep the relationship going? How many dates do I actually go on before I decide this person is not the one? Should I date this person plus also bring on a new person? There are... (laughs) So many decisions involved with online dating. So I think people have to recognize those decisions. And again, it comes down to rules. They have to make some rules for themselves. Like I'm going to only date one person at a time, for example. That makes it easy. I'm not going to even entertain. I'm not going to message anyone. I'm going to date one person at a time, decide if that person's for me. And then truly, this is just a general dating rule that I will set out there. My own opinion, I'm going to caveat it with that. But if you know something isn't working, end it. It's Mm. the best thing for both of you. Let you both go on to find someone who is going to work for you. Mm -hmm. It does you no favor. It does the other person no favor to keep something going on that just isn't working. It's called social economizing. And, you know, going back to something earlier, I think that Sahil is saying is we have all of these demands on our time, right? You have to make hard choices. Do I spend time walking with my mom in the morning or do I spend time, you know, on a dating app if I were single? And what I will tell you is that if you make those decisions quickly by finding out, digging in deep with these relationship prospects and seeing, is this really something there? Whether that means like meeting them really quickly, taking it from this offline space to an online space to see if there's any real intimacy face-to-face, whatever it means to you to advance that relationship, get there quick so Mm -hmm. that you can make a really good decision very quickly and then move on if that's what you need to do. So there are lots of ways. Again, I outline this a lot in my book about ways that you can make decisions. But I will also tell you, we make decisions really quickly. We know whether someone is compatible with us in just a few minutes, usually. Mm. The feelings that we have when we're really attracted to someone kick in quickly. We make those decisions with art we like, with music we like. It only takes a few seconds really to know, is this someone I'm going to like or have the potential to even like? So I want people to get there quickly and that will help save their time. I generally make a joke while picking my nose. And if they're okay with that, I know that's that fine. That is really not okay. Let's, let's move on. I don't know make if that's it simpler. ever going to be okay by any Because that's what I'm going to do on a regular basis. Right? <laughs> okay. Not the picking of the nose, only when I need to do it. Does that Anyways. work? Does that work? Do you find good I quality catches? I'm, I'm very, uh, I'm not good at dating at all. Um, I, I, can't, would, I would have never suspected that. <laughs> yeah, I, I get exhausted very quickly. And I'm like, no, nah, this is like, can you imagine going on a date every day of the year? It's very, it is very exhausting. And, it and expensive. Exa- it is expensive. And the one thing technology has done now, it's made it less expensive, right? Because you're not meeting, yes. not yes. meeting until a certain time. So you're like, this is okay. But there was one thing related to sexting was how much of the sexting actually happens in relationships that are called Extra dyadic. Dyadic. Extra dyadic relationship. You know what? This is this is a really good question because extra dyadic relationships are relationships that are outside your dyad, if you have a dyad. Now polyamory is becoming much more popular. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people don't exist within traditional constructs of relationships. But if you are in a dyad, I think those extra dyadic relationships are getting quite a lot of action regarding sexting. Because if you think about it, It's such a convenient medium with which to communicate to a paramour. It's basically hidden. You can hide between WhatsApp, Signal, disappearing messages. I mean, so many apps now have those disappearing functions. So you can do that and they are just lurking there in your friends list and no one would even know it. So I don't think that this has really been studied like what percentage is extra dyadic versus between couples, but 
I often say that the kind of text message I send to my husband is usually like, can you pick up some milk on the way home? <laughs> right? <laughs> so that's usually not what people are sending to their lovers. I think people who, when they are in cheating relationships and we know that sexting occurs more often in committed relationships than it does necessarily in cheating relationships. However, that's the entire point of the relationship. When people are cheating, they want sex. Sexting is a way to communicate sex, especially when you guys can't be co-located. So I think it's probably the medium of choice for people who are stepping out. This one is a really complicated question, and I'm sure you have a point of opinion on it. But how should a couple define cheating? Oh, you know what? I don't even need to have an opinion on it because there is research on it. So luckily, people who were more innovative than I was, uh, I know one of the people is Lucia O'Sullivan, and she's from Canada as well. And she and I have co-authored a couple of other papers together. But she actually did research on what are acts that are considered infidelity, and she put it on a scale. Okay, Mm -hmm. so she basically asked hundreds of people, how much do you think that this is cheating, basically? And so at the tippy top of the list, you have what you'd expect to have. Like sexual intercourse is considered at the top of the list. Below that, things like oral sex. And then taking a shower with someone is up there. And then right below that, so at five or six is sexting, which was really surprising to me. So sending an explicit picture or video was right up there. And it was higher than going on a date with someone, kissing someone. So people have more tolerance for, like if my partner goes on a date and holds hand with someone, they have more tolerance for that in general than if they sent them a naked video. It's all individualistic, but this is what we see from the norms. That said, sexting is becoming a lot more common. Mm. It is a currency. You know, when we do surveys with the college students who come into my university, I'll ask them about their sexting history. Some of them have sent hundreds and hundreds of messages to 50 partners. And I just think, gosh, it's so much media out there. And again, if you're talking about a digital billboard, there's so much potential for some of that to leak out to places where you don't want it to. So because of the different currency that I think it now is, I think it's just going to change the flavor of these relationships and what what sexting really means. It's not necessarily maybe viewed the way it was before. Like, I think it's a big deal. Sending a photo of yourself naked, a big deal. But I don't think teenagers think it is anymore. So I wouldn't be surprised if it starts dropping in the rankings. I would feel that maybe emotional cheating... I feel like that's way more hurtful. Ah, bullshit. That was going to be my next comment. I think it's easier said than done when it happens to you. I think emotional cheating is way worse. It's not even in the top six, though. Think about it. (laughs) But then sexting is there because sexting, I think, gives you... A lot more emotional. Oh, sexting is still sex. It's I don't know how much. What are your thoughts on this? We're obviously having like a debate, but yeah, it's super individualistic. I mean, I think there might be a gender divide here too. Okay, so what women believe is a transgression versus what men think is a transgression might be different. So yeah, I mean, it would hurt me way more if my husband were to come home and say I've fallen in love with someone. Yeah, it would be for him to come home and say I slept with someone. It would hurt me way more. 
more. 100%. For him, I don't know what the answer is. I, I don't know if he would be more hurt if I had an emotional or a physical affair. But emotional cheating was on there on the list. It wasn't as high as sending like a sex message, but it is something that people still consider cheating. And again, it's going to be individualistic. It's going to be, I think, again, determined by gender. <laughs> I would be upset with both of them, to be honest. And so, yeah, for me, they're about? as bad. And I think it depends on how, because the line with, you know, sexual cheating is so clear. It's not that clear with emotional cheating. You can always justify it. Oh, no, he was just a friend, you know, and that's the issue with that. You can't really define emotional cheating too well. Mm. Sexual cheating is clear. If you slept with someone, you slept with someone. That's it. And that's bad. But with emotional cheating, the line gets really blurry. What about that when they fall in love, though? I mean, I think for me, that's That's horrible. That's crazy. Because you can't, it's hard to come back from that too, right? As well, like you can yeah. lose the person because of it. And that that is another thing that you pointed out in your papers is how much of that thing happens at work, at yeah. workplaces. And a that, lot. That I, I find very interesting. Like, <laughs> and now that makes sense. I was saying, again, you're like hitting every topic in my book, but this is normal, right? So we do something called niche picking based on our genes. I told you guys, I'd love to be in a living room with you right now because my genes are drawn to you guys. I think we would be friends. I think I would love to hang out with you. But people with similar genetic profiles tend to group together. What I say is like drops of oil in a glass of water. You find the people who are like you. Okay. And it's really hard to separate you. And you don't necessarily know that you're genetically similar, but you probably are. And that's what draws you. It's called niche picking. And it's a real effect that our genes have as they interact with the environment to make the people that we are. So what I think is that we are constantly doing this niche picking and the work is one of the greatest examples of that, right? You went into a similar job. You went, you chose that place. You have probably similar skill sets. You have maybe similar goals. There might not be a group of people on this earth who are more similar to you than the people who chose to work at your place of work, right? So I think that's why so much work place romance happens because you found your people. These are your people. I also say that about people who cheat with their friends, boyfriends and girlfriends. Mm -hmm. That's also really common. And I'm like, of course it is. You like your friends you're probably going to like the people that they date, right? Mm -hmm. You're all attracting kind of the same types of people and you get to spend time with them. And it is not true that familiarity breeds contempt. Instead, there's a really strong phenomenon that's just proximity brings people closer. Mm. The more that I see you, the more I like you, period. I like you guys more now than I did when we started out this conversation because I've gotten to know you. I've gotten to spend time with you. Mm. And that's just a simple like law of attraction. It's called the mere exposure phenomenon. The more I'm exposed to you, typically the more I'm going to like you. You spoke a lot about, you know, having a bedtime routine for for couples and they should go to bed. Long-term committed relationship. Yeah, or short. What happens when one partner in the relationship is, you know, doesn't have the same time routine as you do and like shift workers and stuff like that? How are you still able to have that routine and how do you bring that balance and does that affect relationships? You know, we talked about this as soon as I did this research with Brandon McDaniel, we both work for this hospital system here and one of the people who works in mental health outreach, she came and she said, is this affecting our shift workers? Our nurses who are on different shifts as their partners, are they not having this very essential thing that's supposed to keep them close as a couple and what can we do about it? So we're actually thinking of researching that and actually trying to develop some strategies for people who do have opposite work schedules. The point is we say bedtime just because bedtime is a convenient leisure time. It's a time when typically 
most couples don't have other obligations or they eschew those other obligations for the benefit of the couple. And a lot of people aren't doing that, right? A lot of people, instead of using that time to connect, they're using that time to surf the internet, play video games, watch TV in a separate room. A lot of people are choosing to spend what I see as a very valuable leisure time as a couple alone. And they're feeling it. They're really feeling the effects of being basically snubbed for another activity when their partner could be spending time with them. My advice to people who are shift workers or who don't have compatible schedules with their partner is to find and carve out that time where you can spend together. So, you know, you can't survive as a couple if you never spend time together. I mean, some people I think do well because they just never fight because they never see each other. But if you actually want to grow and get deep, then the way to do so is through sharing more leisure together. So find the time. Maybe it's going to be in the morning. It doesn't have to be bedtime necessarily. But I think that that would be a solution for people who don't share the same schedule. Most of us, though, live in a world where we can have that time be around nighttime. So I think it's just really important for people to do. What I really loved in your language at the very beginning, you didn't leave out your husband at all. Most people, when they say, oh, I don't have time for the kids, I don't have time for the kids, I need to make time for them. And of course, that's 100% important. But they never say time for my husband or time time for my wife. And that I think is it's something I caught on to when very early on, as soon as you started speaking, you said, you know, these are my important things that I need to balance. And your husband was in that, whereas often we, they're collateral damage in everything, mm-hmm. you know, the partner. Thank you. I, you know, my, we'll be married 25 years next year and I, I still have my wedding dress and it's still fine. I think we're going to do a recommitment ceremony. With oh, me. that'd be Like awesome. I got married in the 90s. So you'd think it'd be some monstrosity, but it's really actually cute. So cool. one of the things that I think is really important in relationships relationships, if you choose to have one, is that you don't put your partner on the back burner, basically, Mm -hmm. for anyone else. So from the time that we've had children, we've reinstated to each other, it's me and you. We are the ones that we love the most. And our children come as their secondary beautiful part of that. Mm -hmm. They are the offspring of this love that we have for each other. But he is my most valued human. And I, I can't imagine living in a relationship where that isn't true. So I think that's what helps me every single day like Mm -hmm. show a good example to my kids too. I want them to find partners that they feel that for. And I keep saying to them, it makes me so sad because one day you're going to love your wife more than you love me. And they're like, Mm -hmm. no, never. I'm like, okay. Um, (laughs) But I hope it happens for you. I hope that you go on to find this thing that dad and I have. Catfishing. What that is and how common I guess it can be or what are the signs? Okay. So catfishing is when you pretend to be something that you're not online and you get other people involved in that ruse in some way. So we have some really famous examples of that. Monte Teo, he was a Notre Dame football player and he was being catfished by someone who claimed to be a girl. And it really wasn't a girl. It was actually a boy. And he thought he was in a relationship with this person. It made headlines because, you know, all these weird things happen. Every time they're supposed to meet, this person said they like lost a family member. These catfishing things that really make it into the mainstream media seem to have pretty similar vibes. Like the people keep making excuses why not to meet, things like that. But in a small way, I think catfishing happens all the time. The photos that people are putting on social media, they're not their worst photos, right? My friend who does a lot of online dating, he says that 
one of the worst things is when he shows up and someone's photo is really different mm-hmm. than what they actually look like. And he said, it's really common mm-hmm. that that happens. So is that catfishing? A little bit, right? Because we're putting up a version of ourselves that is not actually reflective of reality. So in some ways, everything that you see on the internet is a little bit of catfishing. Like when I post a picture, I would have definitely, if I were posting a picture right now, there would be nothing here that indicates that anyone lives in my house. Mm -hmm. It would be Mm -hmm. pristine. It would be beautiful because I would want to present that. It is really a reflection of me. However, it's the best version of me. So what you have to understand is the world is catfishing us a little bit. Mm -hmm. Everything you see is the best view of their reality, the best view of it, and and maybe not even reflective of their reality. Some people lie completely. Mm. A lot of people lie. You know, lying is really normal too. A lot of people lie. I think people lie on average like twice a day or something (laughs) is the statistic. So the fact that people would be lying and trying to present a better version of themselves, it's totally normal. We want to be Mm. liked. We want to be adored. And as Madonna says... If you don't take me at my... What is it? If you can't handle me... Okay, hang on. If you can't handle me at my worst, you don't deserve me at my best. Yeah, I mean, Madonna is <laughs> fucking saying that when she's Madonna, 65. Madonna, who was it? Sorry. What she's 65 and she's dating a no, 70-year-old. No, it wasn't Madonna. Who was it? The chick that pulled her dress down on that thing... It's all right. Well, I don't know. screw Madonna. Uh, I don't <laughs> Madonna. think Madonna is the one to take our moral, <laughs> I don't morals, think it was Madonna anymore, morals anyway. <laughs> but also, why is there a need? And I think this could be a solution to a lot of problems. Why is there a need to show our best self versus our authentic self? And why are people so uncomfortable, you know, showing that or even people seeing someone's authentic self? It's, it's very confronting sometimes. It is. And I think a lot of those people can get a lot of backlash, which is why people don't do it. First of all, why do we want to present our best self? We have a need to belong. We have self-esteem needs. We have needs to be loved. So when you said earlier, like, I want to show that my kids are beautiful, like that helps with my self-esteem. And we mm. need self-esteem to go through this world effectively. I think that people have innocent motivations for wanting to show their best selves. They're putting their best foot forward. They want to be accepted. They want to be loved. And that is a normal, natural human motivation. And then I think the other part of it is then why are people having this crazy reaction sometimes when people present an authentic self and why did they get backlash? Well, we live in a culture of shame. I have talked about this endlessly. I feel really, really sorry for digital natives who are so afraid to take a single misstep and have it haunt them. So that same digital billboard that I teach my children about in terms of, you know, making sure that they tailor what they post, that's the same billboard that might come back to haunt them when they've revealed something about themselves that's a big share, that's vulnerable. When any person is vulnerable on the internet, they're taking a huge risk of attack. Mm. And it's so sad. We live in such a horrible culture of shame. Again, if we think of the internet as the safest playground, people can really hurt people for being their authentic selves. So I think that's why people are refrained to present that side of themselves because for fear of attack. I know this was something that we wanted to touch upon. One of the questions you guys had was about ghosting. That's one of the questions I was going to ask. And I'm like, I'm not sure if she has time. But yes, please talk about ghosting. Let me give you just a couple of minutes. So 
You know, a lot of times in this talk, I've said something to you guys about human motivation. I'm really into it. I'm really thinking a lot these days, but always really about what humans need, what we need, basics for survival. And I've said it a couple of times, so I know I'm being redundant, but maybe not for your audience, which is we need at a basic level, food and water. Okay. Then we need security. We need to just feel like, okay, I have a house to live in. I have a job. Like my basic needs will be met. And right above that, we need to feel like we belong and that we're loved. And that makes the interactions that we have with other people really meaningful to us. So that when we even get a hint of rejection, it threatens us at a very basic level of human emotion, which is that need to belong and that need to feel loved. If you couple onto that, we need closure. We're a species that's drawn to wanting to see the end to a beginning. So when someone ghosts us, it's the perfect storm for causing havoc. It can make a totally normal and functional individual act completely off the rails because they're like, what is happening? Why is this person thinking about me? And that's normal. We are evolved human beings. If we didn't think about the way other people thought, that would be underutilizing our cognitive capacity. We can think about what they think and that allows us to be empathetic. That allows to call them when we know that their mom is going through surgery because we think, oh, they must be worried and therefore I'm going to call them. Some well-meaning individuals, I think, try to get you to not think about what other people think, but that's misguided. We do it as humans. It's because we have a socially evolved brain and that's normal and adaptive. It hurts when people ghost. A better way to end things is to actually end them. If you're going to end something with someone, end them. If you want to air something with someone, air it. If you need to confront someone about something, confront them. Ghosting hurts at a super basic level. So I think to me, a good way to end this would be communication means a lot. Love means a lot. And feeling like I belong on this earth and I'm connected to the world might be the most meaningful thing that I get out of this life. So I think people should try to go forward with that in mind and try to do as little harm as possible. And try not to ghost. And if you're five feet, 10 inches, say you're five feet, 10. You don't have to say five, 11 and a half or, or six. Or six. Just don't. <laughs> You're not, you're never going to reach there. It's not going to happen. I love how you've turned her really beautiful notes to that. Like she has, I we love it. He's the comedy. <laughs> you're, you're the sidekick I didn't know I needed. Yes. I love it. Yeah, I can always. Like, he's you know, just, just like you're just like saying all yeah. his beautiful stuff, and he's just like, all right. By the way, this is a reality of life. Just no, I, don't I, lie about your height. No, it's I, perfect. We I, should set up a duo. We should go travel. Mm-hmm. I think that would be it. Would work. I would say I all this inspirational so. stuff, and I think they've had that in several forms. I think it could be really successful. I mm. think yeah. No, I'll I'll be honest. This is the one time I'm going to say it online. Your good value. <laughs> I agree. I yeah. don't know how to respond to that. So He's like just... blown away because I never say this. <laughs> A real compliment. I know. I can tell. I'm loving watching the proper moment. It's so great. But thank you so much, Michelle. It was an absolute pleasure. And I'm kind of glad we didn't ask you anything because we want people to out of touch. Is, when does it come out? February. February. So I think it'll be right before Valentine's Day. Oh, nice way to do it. So out of touch, how to survive an intimacy feminine. I'm actually looking forward to reading it and hopefully we'll be speaking to you again sometime down the track. You just never know. When you're in Melbourne. Yeah, when you're in Melbourne. I can't wait. So I'm going to come and try some Melbourne coffee. 100%. You've made a promise. Oh. Uh, that's what I'll come in. We'll yeah. just give her instant I'll coffee. I'll love it. Just give her shit. You. I, uh, my only wish is this would have occurred, you know, us sitting around having drinks in your living so. room. But one day soon, I hope that will happen. And it's great sure. to meet you both. It's been a lot of fun. For sure. Thank you so much, Michelle. Bye-bye. Thank you. <laughs> See Bye. ya. Bye.